This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into a new episode of the Lions 24-7 podcast where here in Happy Valley, we're about to be pummeled by a snowstorm, and and Penn State's about to get hit by a very, very busy Wednesday. Uh, a lot going on here. We're going to dive into it. We're going to begin with some team stuff, but of course, early signing period arrives on Wednesday, continues through Friday. Penn State entering this week with 15 commitments on board, picking up number 15 last week in wide receiver Harrison Wallace. We're going to break down this group, uh, talk about what else we're looking at, who else we're looking at coming into the early signing period and maybe moving out of the early signing period with February 3rd still looming as the National Signing Day. And Sean, we now know what Week 9 means for Penn State. We've been wondering for a while how this would all play out. Two Big Ten games already off the board for this weekend, Michigan versus Iowa, Indiana versus Purdue. We've got one in Beaver Stadium. Yes, it's a home game. 5.30 kickoff set for Illinois, who happens to have fired their coach earlier this week. So there's a lot going on here in town. Everything coming together seamlessly, as one would expect in mid-December. Uh, 5.30 kickoff. I'm not sure how many of those Penn State's had in the last several years, but uh, definitely interesting there. Lovey Smith is out. Rod Smith is in. I, it, I mean, it's it's championship week, or champions week, I guess they called it. I, I don't know what to make of it. Two games have already been, uh, you know, wiped off the board. Uh, but, you know, Penn State has done a, a very good job. Illinois has done a very good job themselves of uh, of, of keeping on the field for the most part. Um, and, yeah, that's that's what we got right now. And there's I – mean, other, other than recruiting and signing day being in the middle of a game week, I mean, that's uh, – it's kind of a crazy week around here. And and by the way, get your shovel ready. I, I know you're not part of that HOA, uh, so if you got some I got work a neighbor, to do. I got a neighbor with a snowblower. That's where Perfect. I'm. That's where my mind is right now. There you go. And I'm sure he has a few my- 24/7 sports T-shirts then. Yeah, I'm sure. More than you do, actually. <laughs> yeah, definitely more than I do. So, Illinois, you're right. Uh, they've been pretty good. They they lost a game uh, along the way against Ohio State there on Thanksgiving weekend. Ohio State was dealing with some issues. Um, but but they have played seven games. They're two and five. They lost their first three. They've lost their last two. And then kind of sandwiched in between all that, they won on the road with the last second field goal at Rutgers. And they also won on the road by 18 points at Nebraska. Uh, but they have been part of some lopsided losses, uh, losing last week at, at Northwestern, 28-10. Uh, to 10. Uh, Their opener was a 45-7 to 7 loss to Wisconsin. Also losses to Purdue and Minnesota. 41-14 lost against the Minnesota team uh, this year in, in Iowa loss. So, uh, look, this is not a team that has been obliterated by everybody. They've got, they've got those two wins. Uh, they've played some of these contests. Close seven points versus Purdue. A couple touchdowns were the difference versus Iowa. We'll get to know more about them later in the week, but 
Let's put this one pretty simply, Sean. Penn State, a three-game win streak hasn't always been pretty. Uh, you'd like to focus in on some of these games' halves versus other halves of these wins and maybe maybe combine the two and put together a complete performance. But at the end of the day, from 0-5 to 3-5, and there is a very clear path to 4-5. and And if they don't get that fourth win on Saturday, uh-oh. Yeah, I, w- I would say uh-oh. Um, you know, it's it's been not a pretty three-week stretch, but they've gotten the Ws in all three weeks, and really that's what you're going out with. Who knows what Illinois is going to show up? I mean, you just fire your coach. Obviously, this is the time of year when guys are deciding to move on or, you know, just not even deal with it anymore and not sure what's going to come from from the Illini sideline, but uh, that's kind of where you're at with when you're previewing this game and, you know, will they want to play? I mean, I assume this game is going to take place, but does Indiana or excuse me, does Illinois want to be here? That's the big question. I think Penn State, uh, you know, is just going to keep plugging along, doing what they've been able to do. Uh, we talked to James Franklin a little bit earlier today. It's just kind of focus on what you can control. That one and no mentality is is very cliche, but it's very much what they're dealing with right now. Uh, it turns out that there wasn't much of a disruption for the players uh, from a standpoint of, of getting ready for this one. Usually, you know, they get to work on the next game on Sunday morning. Rashid Walker telling us during a, a conference call here on Tuesday that he rolled out of bed around 9 a.m. on t- on Sunday. And when he did that, he saw Illinois film was uploaded. Franklin and the staff did not confirmed to the players that that was the matchup until later in the day. I don't think they wanted any of them going to social media and breaking something before the Big Ten, although the Big Ten took its sweet time until about 5 o'clock on Sunday going public with these matchups. But Franklin would have preferred uh, to, to get the news on Saturday night. Sounds like it was early Sunday, very early Sunday when they found out who they were likely going to be matched up against with Illinois. But I think probably very happy that he doesn't have to coordinate uh, some kind of road trip uh, to Illinois this week. There's no doubt about that. And also, he had, he had spoken about before um, just wanting to, to maintain that balance. Penn State has five road games in the conference next year. They have five home games this year. It was a mix and match kind of thing with this Champions Week. Some crossover, some in-division rivalries. And, and I think Penn State ultimately left with Certainly not what is going to be a, a, a super intriguing matchup at the national level. Not a, a big time to, to spike the football and, and say you've come far as a program. But if you get to four and five here, and, and as Franklin said, then they'll have another conversation on Saturday night. And that one will involve bowl possibilities, which you know we'll get to down the road here in, in, later this week. Yeah, I mean, that's, I, I like the idea here that the Big Ten tried to do. The execution could, could use a little bit work, a, a little bit of work. So we'll see if this is something they put into, uh, effect next year. I, I would doubt it, but I like the idea of getting that extra game in there and getting, you know, getting a little bit more revenue, all that kind of stuff. Obviously not happening this year. Uh, but I, I like the idea. The execution leaves a little bit to be desired. Speaking of Big Ten execution, uh, seemingly to the surprise of everybody on this media beat, the all Big Ten teams were announced, uh, right before we went to the James Franklin press conference. Recently, it has been kind of a Big Ten Network showcase event where they roll out these things over an hour-long show, offense one night, defense one night. Nope, found out in a tweet. And, uh, Sean, several Penn State players involved. We got the offensive list. I'd expect on Wednesday we'll see uh, the defensive list for the All-Big Ten. But six players one way or another for Penn State honored by the coaches uh, coaches All-Big Ten squad and the media All-Big Ten squad. you got to start the conversation with Pat Fryermuth, limited to about half a season here as a junior, uh, but he is a, a first-team coaches pick, a second-team media pick, and recognized as tight end of the year in the Big Ten Conference. He was an honorable mention in 18 as a freshman, a second-teamer in 19 as a sophomore. It took him 27 games to set the all-time record for Penn State touchdowns by a tight end. 
not too many tight ends, you know, that you would look at in the season, this season, in the Big Ten and think they deserve, you know, to be up there. But him and Jake Ferguson were the two, uh, Ferguson from Wisconsin. I mean, I don't think there's any question. Fryermuth's the better player. He played in four games. Ferguson only played in five, had a couple of more catches, but, uh, you know, Fryermuth had him in yards. Um, Ferguson had a couple more touchdowns. I, I think that number certainly would have gone up with a little bit better quarterback play. Uh, but you just, I, I thought it was a no brainer to go with Fryermuth as the, the tight end of the year in the conference. By the way, if there was ever a year where preseason preseason kind of perception carried through to, to voting it would be this year uh because of of the uneven playing field the stats are uneven because the games aren't even um just a tough year to vote on something like this and Jahan Dotson this is one that probably gets some side eye from Nittany Lions fans a third team in in both of those votes by the way Big Ten Special Teams Player of the Week. We mentioned this this pretty insane stat on Saturday night. Uh, the third player this century in the conference to go for 100-plus receiving yards and return a punt for a touchdown in the same game. He did that Saturday, um, and he's a guy who has four 100-yard games in the season. Pretty good wide receiver group, though. It's, I mean, you, you can really parse through this thing, but it's not like he's behind a bunch of slouches. That's a great wide receiver group. I think, to me, there's five guys in that group that, you know, could, could have pushed for first team, including Jahan Dotson. The two guys from Ohio State, Olave and Garrett Wilson, were the coaches picks. Uh, Fry Fogel and David Bell, who's just incredible at Purdue. Um, you know, they, they were the media picks. Fry Fogel was the receiver of the year, but I think you're kind of just flip-flopping those guys in first and second team. Dotson, second in the league in receptions, first in the league in yards. Now he did have the extra game and I don't know that he had the, the blow amount. You know, of course he, he had the great game against Ohio State that everybody took notice, but on that 0-5 start, I think that's really where it hurts him there. Um, you know, it's it's tough to it's tough to argue against anybody in that group, but Dotson probably had the least bit of notoriety going into the season. I think that probably played into it. And he also shared uh, honors with Rashad Bateman on the third team. Bateman obviously had a big, you know, a, a big push going into the season. Dotson, 40 career catches coming into the year. 46 catches on the season as a junior, and he'll have a decision to make uh, once this season wraps up about what he wants to do in 2021. Uh, Will Fries is a guy that we've seen start at right tackle. We've seen him start at right guard this season. Early in his career, we saw him start. We saw him play on the other side of the line as well. He's a second team pick by the coaches and an honorable mention uh, by the media here, Sean. To me, he was Penn State's best offensive lineman this year. I know he's I, I I wouldn't say that's a high bar considering how they played it especially over the first few weeks of the season but Fries is a guy that really you have that memory of him going against Chase Young you have these memories of him getting beaten but he was more consistent than I think anybody out there and I think that him being on the second team of the coaches says a lot more than you know him being an honorable mention for the media Rasheed Walker was a third teamer on the media side so I I, I think that probably uh, underrated is the way that I would say. I, I wouldn't say he's a world beater, a first team Big Ten, all, all Big Ten guy, or an All American candidate, or anything like that. But I do think he was underrated here, and I'm, I'm glad he got some some shine off of this last season. Well, Phil Troutwine came to town, and one of the the, the top notes and uh, kind of the resume that we went over when he was hired away from Boston College was at Boston College. Five offensive linemen received f- some form of conference recognition, all conference recognition in the ACC last year. Uh, it may not have looked like the complete work of, of over the course of this eight games that you think we get to this point, but whether he, whatever he lands on his next job or gets promoted by Penn State, one of the bullet points here will be year one at Penn State for offensive lineman Sean. 
honored in some way or another by the Big Ten. You mentioned Rasheed Walker, a third-team pick by the media, uh, an honorable mention uh, by the coaches. I think there's a lot for him to, to gain from a redshirt junior year next year. We'll see what he wants to do with his football career. But Mike Miranda, a second-teamer on both sides of the ball. Mike Mennett, a third-teamer on both sides of the voting, I should say. Um, I, I'll say that's that's probably higher than anyone anticipated for Mike Miranda. And coming into the season, maybe a bit lower than you thought Michael Mennett. Uh, I, well, here's the thing. If we're going for Mennett here, um, I don't think he had a great season by any stretch. I thought he was, he was fine. Um, but the two guys in front of him, the, uh, Ohio, Josh Myers from Ohio State and the guy from Iowa may be the top two centers in the country. So I'm great not, point. not yeah. very surprised by that. Um, and actually I thought the Iowa kid was better when we saw them, but that's kind of splitting hairs. Doesn't matter. Uh, Miranda on second team for both the coaches and the media. That was a surprise to me. Um, you know, I just, uh, you just look at the, you look over the, the entire body of work for the season. And, you know, I, I don't think that he was the worst of the group, but I also didn't think that he would be, I guess, if you put him on the second team for both the most consistent of the group. So, um, good for him. I think it's really cool. Uh, good for Phil Troutwine to, to sort of use that moving forward. I got to wonder how the offensive line voting was when you take into account how many guys played, how many games and really, when you're talking about the media voting for something like that, and we're we're dumb. I mean, we're we're not going out there and watching, you know, uh, the Nebraska offensive line or the Purdue offensive line or anything like that. Looking for things like that, you read stuff, you you know, you kind of get into that. And I'm not sure where Miranda graded out on Pro Football Focus or anything like that, but I have a feeling that probably played into some things. Uh, so I mean, I guess it's just uh, it's great for him. It's fantastic for him. Uh, just I was surprised to see four offensive linemen from Penn State's three and five football team on this All Big Ten team. Great for Mike Miranda, and I think probably, again, even better for Phil Troutwine as, as as he moves on in his career. This is a nice thing to point to for him in year one at Penn State, considering the circumstances that he encountered on the new job. We talked about that a lot. Um, I don't know what this speaks about Big Ten offensive line play at large. There are 13 other programs who are rolling out five other offensive linemen, but the only guy who didn't get any kind of recognition here who started, well, there's two of them, T.J. Thorpe, who, who lost his job along the way, and then Caden Wallace, who was plugged in at right tackle as a redshirt freshman about halfway through the season everybody else who's been a full-time starter landed on this list in, in, in some kind of fashion and uh, that kind of transitions us over into the the Franklin press conference not a ton of newsy items but if there was anything that was a, a bit timely that we had been wondering about it was CJ Thorpe because he's a guy who started the first three games this year at right guard he's played in more than 30 Penn State games at this point in his career he started five last year I believe that number was um, but we have not seen him on the field at all uh, in the stadium really uh, um, last week in Beaver Stadium, the week before in Piscataway, New Jersey against Rutgers, um, it's been right guard Will Fries, right tackle Caden Wallace, some Juice Scruggs getting work at right guard, but no C.J. Thorpe. And, and Franklin directly asked about that today by our Mark Brennan, and he says uh, it's a medical decision. Uh, that's kind of a, a, a hard pause when he goes that route, but he says it's something that the Penn State staff has no control over. It's something they're obviously aware of, but I think that just helps dispel any kind of notion in a year where there's been a bunch of opt-outs, in a year where you just wonder, uh, how's the locker room holding up? How are guys holding up? C.J. Thorpe, apparently this is a medical decision, uh, not related to his status on the roster. And if this was a COVID situation, I mean, it's not something that Penn State's going to come out and no. say. So I'm uh, not surprised by that that measure. And uh, yeah, I mean, they've, they've been doing okay without him. I, I love what we've seen from Juice Scruggs. Uh, I'm really excited to see how he fits into the picture next year. I mean, you kind of expect 
Fries and Mennett to move on, even though they do have that extra year. But Scruggs, I think, gives you some optimism to either plug in there at center or move Miranda over to center or, you know, try and do some, some different things. And I think that that'll be great. And I love to see Thorpe back. I thought he played his, was Michigan his last game? I thought he played it his was, best game yeah. out, of, out, of, out of Michigan. Yeah. Franklin says they hope to have him back, but he kind of left it at that. Um, elsewhere, l- looking into this game and looking back at the Rutgers game very quickly, Franklin was asked about kind of how he manages his, his coordinators in game. What's that communication? Like, and he unsolicited really went back to that Rutgers game and says, you know, there's some times where you want to put your foot on the gas pedal and say, hey, we're going too conservative. There's other times, and he said, where you're on the field and the weather is a huge factor, and maybe the guy up in the booth doesn't realize that, and you want to make sure you reiterate to that that to him. And he mentioned the Rutgers weather and what we saw in that second half, Sean. This marries up with Franklin, something we discussed in the post game podcast, essentially going override mode and saying. Let's get basic here. Let's run the ball forward with Will Levis. Let's get out of here. We're up by 16 points in the third quarter at Rutgers. Let's go home with the win. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the expected reality when you talk about, uh, you know, if you don't really, I'm not going to say don't trust your quarterbacks, which is kind of the, the route that we went down in the postgame podcast after the Michigan State game. But when you play that weather in, you you say that, I mean, you're just, you're better than this team. You're not going to give them the chance to get back into it. It's not a big surprise at all. It's, it's nice to hear it confirmed because, you know, you're, you, we go on and we talk about, oh, you know, Kirk Shiraka is not making the most of his decisions. Well, you know, obviously here was a situation where he was overrided and that was a situation where, you know, Penn State did basically, I guess circled the wagons. Is, is that the way to, to, to describe this? And just went home with it. And that's the, that's kind of what we've seen the last couple of weeks. Franklin says he has three immediate goals right now for Penn State. He listed them in order. Uh, number one was to get this team through the duration of its remaining schedule, whether that factors in a bowl, but certainly week nine healthy. They've been among the best in the nation at, at, at staying healthy in a year of a pandemic. Number two, finding a way to get a victory on Saturday. As we said, they're going to be the strong favorites going into that matchup against Illinois. And number three, hammered home the point, finding a way to reunite with his family. That's been an ongoing theme. Um, Franklin, very structured. He can see the light at the end of the tunnel. I think he's happy with how his team has responded, and, and the whole thing has kind of woken up. We've talked about the body language uh, on the sideline. We've talked about kind of the uh, the, the difference in the the, um, the voices that we're hearing from, from the coaching staff in these availabilities, Franklin included. So you like how it's kind of uh, building toward, toward a positive to finish things off, uh, but it's going to be a wild Wednesday, Sean. Um, you know, they may be digging out of snow, but either way, you got to get some things done here. If you're Penn State, you got to sign all these players. You got to have a key day of practice. And just putting it out there, it's not going to be the, the the fun festivities at Lash Building where we're usually invited to, to observe it. There's usually a, a nice breakfast bar, uh, a bunch of people out there celebrating the mascots there. They're announcing these pick by pick. This is going to be Franklin in like a situation room for a few hours and getting his assistant coaches one by one to come help make these calls. Welcome these signees on board. Welcome their families on build on board. Still make them feel special. But then those coaches are turning around, getting back to their rooms, and focusing in on trying to win a game this Saturday. It's a different reality this time around. We'll be here with all the coverage. We'll talk about it a lot. But this is going to be a, a pretty exhaustive day for James Franklin and his coaching staff. I'll be honest. I'm not sure how much they're going to miss the festivities in the morning and trying mm-hmm. to, to coordinate all that kind of stuff and 
talking to the boosters and talking to everybody that's in the room. Now you've, you've still got game prep where he's going to, you know, let his assistants do their things. Franklin's going to be out there. I'm sure FaceTiming and talking with the families and everything like that. As you mentioned, just kind of tap these guys on the shoulder, say, okay, we got to talk to Jeffrey Davis at 10 o'clock. You know, let's go, let's go talk to him and his family and, you know, say all the right things about him signing and everything. So I think that that will be something that the assistants, yeah, they could probably do without. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how they handle this. The most, uh, fascinating part to me is they use this as usually as a recruiting tool for the next class because they're on the phone. If you go there and you, you know, get in the war room or whatever and they're doing their thing and talking amongst themselves, all these coaches, you know, every couple of minutes are getting up, going on their phone, talking to the 2022 kid that they, you know, that it's set up that they have them calling at a certain time. So I think that's going to be the interesting thing is how do you, um, sort of use the juice of a national signing day to try and propel yourself forward as they've, as they, they've tried to do the last couple of cycles. Um, so I don't know how that all is going to work out on Wednesday. There are many programs across America right now who are facing a game on Saturday and that reality and trying to prepare for it while getting to the finish line here. Um, not quite the finish line, though, because as we'll say in just a bit, there is a commitment looming and a signing looming later in the early signing period later this week that that could factor in for Penn State. We'll get to that in just a bit. But first, let's take a look way down the road to the point like where these recruits we're about to talk about are going to be juniors and seniors on this roster. And that's 2025 and college football has a way of making plans way far in advance when it comes to the schedules, and 2020 has a way of blowing them up for everybody. Now, that was supposed to be a home-and-home deal with Virginia Tech, and that's what's in the microscope here. Virginia Tech was supposed to be the first destination for Penn State on the road this year. As we now know, no out-of-conference play happened. And then Penn State and Virginia Tech were scheduled to, scheduled to meet again in 2025 with the Hokies returning the favor, making the trip up to, up to Happy Valley. Kind of no surprise here, Sean. Uh, Virginia Tech athletic director essentially saying, well, you guys didn't make the trip here, so we're probably not going to be making the trip up there. Not a huge deal in the grand scheme of things. you got to fill that spot. I, I suggest you fill it with a Power 5 um, opportunity and a Power 5 opponent. It's kind of a bummer, though. First off, I was looking to get down to Blacksburg. Um, secondly, you know, there's always a significant amount of recruits, it seems, that come to Penn State that have Virginia Tech on the table. Um, these are two teams that, that kind of low-key meet, meet on the recruiting trail um, on an annual basis, uh, maybe not as much as, as, uh, as some of the schools in the, in the Mid-Atlantic, but they you know, it's it's cross it off the list i guess for 2025 and see what you can do scheduling is so dumb man it's just it is that, what BYU and and coastal carolina can throw together a game in a week and we're talking about scheduling 2025 games or canceling 2025 games that are scheduled it's so dumb uh but no i get it i i wanted to go to blacksburg as well this year obviously all that stuff was wiped out and and you know it's it's a, it's a good matchup it's a good recruiting matchup when you talk about I mean, obviously, you don't know who's going to be coaching anywhere or, or whatever, but you talk about those two schools being regional sort of powers. I mean, Penn State, I think, has kind of the edge there, um, but Virginia Tech, you know, it does tremendously well in the in the Tidewater region in Virginia. You know, you just go head to head with them, maybe not more than anybody else, but more than more than your average school. So I was looking forward to seeing that the uh, the dynamics of that. You know, if if you know. Uh, Keandre Lambert-Smith or somebody like that would have success against a Virginia school. Does that help Penn State or, you know, you flip it on its head and somebody that went to Virginia Tech from Pennsylvania, would they have the success? You know, it's it, it, there's the little things that go out with that. And and it's just, it's it's such a good matchup. I mean, it's uh it seems like two two programs that no matter when they play, 
It would be fairly close. I mean, you're talking Virginia Tech uh, top 25 program pretty consistently. You know, they've been down under Fuente, but I mean, that, that that's a matchup that I'm going to miss. Seemingly another lifetime ago, remember we were saying that's an early litmus test for this Penn State program in 2020 and what that road trip was going to look like. And a guy like Devin Ford, um, who, who you know came down to Virginia Tech and Penn State for him, and I remember him being excited about this matchup. That got blown up. I, I guess that then reverberates to eliminate it in 2025. For the record, I said they planned it out in advance. The next uh, next few years, you got some home and home matchups in, in the Power Five level. Auburn is the matchup at home next year. Uh, then you got at Auburn in 2022. You got West Virginia back to back years. They make the trip to Happy Valley in 2023. Uh, Penn State goes down to uh, to Morgantown in 2024. Let's just hope we're all talking about all out-of-conference games and road trips and all the fun stuff that comes with that in the upcoming years. But uh, for now, it looks like you can wipe uh, Virginia Tech off the board, uh, and Penn State will have to fill that one down the road. Um, in terms of uh, also looking uh, at at not necessarily things happening on campus right now, a really busy week, Sean, for, for the NFL uh, alumni uh, across the league. Uh, K.J. Hamler, breakout game, couple touchdowns, 86 yards uh, between the two touchdowns against the Carolina Panthers and his old buddy Itor Grossmatos. Mike Gesicki with a couple touchdowns and a loss to the Kansas City Chiefs. He's having a heck of a season. That's six scores for him. And oh, by the way, Miles Sanders with two touchdowns in just a game where the Eagles exploded. Uh, New Orleans Saints hadn't given up 100 yards on the ground in 55 consecutive games to a single rusher. Between him and Jalen Hurts, uh, they both had 100 yards, and something tells me that Jalen Hurts has unlocked some uh, some potential for Miles Sanders the rest of the way here in 2020. And by the way, it's it's good to see Sanders healthy. It's good to see KJ healthy, and it sucks to see Mike Kosicki, uh seemingly uh, with a fairly severe injury based on his immediate reaction and the way they handled him going to the locker room on Sunday afternoon. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. There's still nothing coming up on that. Uh, looked like a shoulder, a collarbone, or something it got driven into the ground. But man, he was having a fantastic game. Just kept popping up on red zone with great catches and things like that. I mean. No matter who the quarterback has been there, you've been able to find Mike Gesicki and usually find him in the end zone. He's had a tremendous year. Uh, KJ Hamler, obviously, Denver's uh, offense has been very, very much up and down, but they they worked him in the short game and they got him deep as well. So that was really cool to see him succeeding. And then Miles Sanders, I'm not going to say too much about an NFC East guy, especially one lower in the standings than Washington, but that's pretty cool for him to, to for for everything that. You know, they've dealt with in Philadelphia this year with the quarterbacks. If he can get going with Jalen Hurts, certainly going to up his value quite a bit. Washington in sole possession there in the NFC East. And then the other guy. Hey, thanks for noticing. Yeah, the other guy I feel like we had to mention here, uh, Allen Robinson. I mean, if you're a KJ Hamler or a Mike Isicki or a Miles Sanders, you're aspiring to have this kind of a career trajectory where Allen Robinson is due for another massive contract. It'll be his third professional contract. He's a free agent next year. For whatever reason, the Bears have, have really tiptoed around extending his deal um, or, or failing to get what he needs. But nine catches, 120 yards, a touchdown. The Bears are still live in the playoff hunt. And how about this? Uh, one of the more storied franchises in the history of the league, Sean, he's only the fifth Chicago Bears receiver to go back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons. That's pretty crazy. Um, I mean, they're a running franchise in my head, but still, to, to, to have some of the players that have come through there, that's pretty crazy. Allen Robinson has been the best guy on a really bad offense at times, and, and it's amazing to me they have the record that they do, uh, especially with the quarterback play that they've had, but he's made the most of it. It's funny because you know I'm an Allen Robinson owner in fantasy, and I, I Google him sometimes or, or search on Twitter sometimes, 
Bears fans are just like coming after him. And it's like, how can you look at this offense and think that he, this guy is a problem? I mean, he doesn't drop the ball. Uh, you know, he's not the one making the decision to throw it, but it's, it's really interesting to see that dynamic. And I, I wonder if he sticks around Chicago, if he goes somewhere that could, you know, better utilize his talents, but obviously just have been a fantastic uh, career so far. And it's not, doesn't look to be close to over. A great weekend for the wide receiver brand for the Penn State Nittany Lions. You had Parker Washington with another huge game as a freshman. You had Jahan Dotson go out, uh, make some make some uh, Big Ten uh, history, essentially, with with his performance. Uh, and then you had these guys in the NFL going off. Uh, Allen Robinson doing what he does. K.J. Hamler, the best uh, best to, to date for his young career. And, of course, guys like Chris Godwin getting it done elsewhere. Not a huge game for him. Unfortunately, a, a, a tremendous week for Penn State in the NFL. And on a, on a bit of a sour note, Trace McSorley got into the game against the, the the Cleveland Browns on Monday Night Football. Looked like another opportunity for him to to grab the spotlight. Uh, actually, it was a drop pass that cost him. He, he had a, a nice throw on the money, but then uh, knee injury, it appears, not too severe, but enough to land him on the IR, which means I guess the Ravens are going to have to scramble, promote a guy from the practice squad because he joins RG3 on the on the IR. Maybe he'll get a chance to come back for a playoff run, but um, a bit of a bummer there to end it. But usually we, we kind of bypass the NFL news, but it felt like there was so much of it for Penn State coming out of Sunday and Monday. We had to address it here just a little bit, and, and fortunately for Sean, Got some NFC East title talk in the mix as well. But that's going to be enough for the NFL. That's going to be enough for the future schedules. We know a lot of you are tuned in to get your fix on the early signing period. We're going to give that all to you just around the corner here on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Early signing period begins on Wednesday, and and we're going to talk about that right now as Penn State gets to this stage of the cycle with 15 commitments on board, number 15 joining just last week, and uh, still some room in the end. We'll see if Penn State's prepared to add some players and also what lies beyond this week. But let's start with the obvious, Sean. This year has been way different. This cycle has been completely uncharted territory for these prospects, for these coaches, for us covering all of the action. Um, But ready or not, buckle up because Penn's going to go to paper and within a few weeks, these kids are actually going to show up to campus, and I don't know what they're going to encounter on colleges. It's hard to say that much is going to change between now and, and some of these early enrollments, which are four or five weeks away, but it, it's going down, and college football rolls on, and rosters roll on, and this is the next uh, step and and kind of that happening. It's just been a remarkable cycle year for everything, and then you throw this recruiting stuff on top of it, and it's just kind of like, when when is this thing going to be over? And you just kind of say that about everything these days, but this class, I mean, in itself, when I don't think anybody's complaining about the players in the class. It's a good group. It's a group that stayed very solid throughout the process, and I think Penn State should be commended for that. The problem here is that this class is going to be remembered for one thing, and it's that, that that's the guys that got away, the guys that they didn't get. And that's unfortunate for these guys, but at the same time, it's it, it's a fair judgment. I mean, it's it's really you know the, there's a lot of different stories, a lot of different uh, you know reasons for that happening. 
But at the same time, you end up with the guys that you sign. I mean, these these 15 guys, and they're hoping to get to 18. Don't know that they're going to get there this week, but you've got until February to, to get that together. I don't see it being a tremendously active signing day. Where, where you, of course, the guy that we know when he's going to announce Deshaun Morrell, the running back from Alabama, is going to announce on Friday morning. So, you know, hopefully Penn State will, will go off into the, the winter break with some good news there. But still, it's, it, there's a lot of unknowns out there. Penn State's still recruiting a, a bunch of guys, but I, nobody that I would really look to, um, with the exception of maybe Morrell, maybe George Rooks, the the, the lineman for the defensive lineman from New Jersey, that they're in a good spot right now, and that's that's pretty concerning. Uh, you know, you, you can't. I, I think there's there's only been so much momentum you can cultivate for yourself, bring around for yourself. And that's something they've struggled with all this cycle. So that's that's really, I think, going to be the, what we talk about and what we reflect on this cycle for so long. It, it seemed like it started out on a very good note. Um, Nick Elksness and Dante Thornton were in the class very early. They're, of course, committed to uh, uh, Florida and Oregon, respectively, right now. And that's not really <laughs> that this cycle seemed to start again in March. And that's Kind of okay, but when you when you take into account the circumstances there about not visiting, I mean, you, you're looking at Landon Tangwall committing in March, and then Penn State going on a really really nice run through May, uh, the the beginning of May, and then everything just shuts down. And I think that these lulls, these um, sort of I don't want to call them breakdowns, but these these times with nothing happening, when you can't fill it with visits, when you can't sort of uh, you know build up your own momentum by saying, oh, this guy's on campus, these guys are taking visits, these guys are have Penn State prominently in their radar. That's really what you're going to remember, and those those long layoffs really kind of killed any momentum that they would have had. Elksness decommitted like what within two weeks of the world shutting down, uh, and and you're right, it felt like there was basically a reboot of the cycle for Penn State, and you didn't always like what you saw from it. Um, I mean, Landon Tengwall was was kind of the, the the Kickstarter for this whole deal, and then it felt like everybody was jumping on board. Then there was a long wait. I, I think once Lonnie White came on board in May. We didn't see a commitment until Jamari Budden in July, and then we didn't see another one until Khalil Dinkins in October. And of course, most recently, one comes out of nowhere, essentially, with Harrison Wallace, who picks up the uh, an offer in mid-October from Penn State down home in Alabama. And James Franklin mentioned on Tuesday that you you know you've had to kind of find ways to manufacture the vibes that you normally would be able to create naturally from guys getting on campus and uh for a game weekend or, or even for one of these December weekends when the season would usually be over you'd still have players on campus you'd be getting ready for a bowl game there'd be some buzz there you'd have commitments uh there to kind of you know encourage you and, and 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 try to get you on board make you feel like you're you can be part of that brotherhood and all those kind of experiences are out the window and uh, that that's out the window for teams across America right now. And something else interesting that caught my attention from James Franklin, he said it took him back to 2014 a little bit when he's getting to campus late. Uh, there are certain guys that he knows he wasn't going to be able to, to get to campus in, in time to to take a long look and, and before they signed. And uh, he talked about two in particular, Torrance Brown uh, and also uh, Christian Campbell uh, uh, signing with the program before visiting. They visited later in the spring, used official visits. Where are those guys from? They're from uh, down south. They're from Alabama, and that's uh, that's been a spot that they've hit very, very hard in the last couple of weeks. It's not really a spot that they've – I don't know. It's not a spot that they've turned to over the years very hard, and it's not a spot that they have guys that really you know recruit that area as, as area recruiters or anything like that. But you know, you're know, you giving it a shot. You've got big programs in that state, and 
you know, for, for better or worse, those, they, they can't offer everybody. They don't offer anybody or everybody. So it's been uh, a state that they've leaned to. It's been a state that, you know, you can get a kid on campus. It's not, it's kind of not, it's different than Florida. It's, it's not as wild westy, I guess, as Florida. So you've got, uh, you know, coaching staffs that you may have connect contacts with. Um, so I think that Alabama has been a place where you just keep popping up and they've got a couple of targets. They got Harrison Wallace committed, got Deshaun Morrell. Um, but back to your original question. Yes, I'll just go with the short version, Alabama. <laughs> Alabama. Um, and, and tell you what, for, for all the things that we maybe anticipated from this class and for all the things that we've kind of lamented for, for Penn State and, and not coming to, to realization, for this to, to maybe be the, the two blue chip prospects, you know, guys who got big bumps from 24-7 sports or of that four-star variety out of Alabama to, to be kind of the punctuation marks on this class that that basically to me typifies the uncertainty that has reigned supreme over this recruiting cycle. Um, now the the top ranked guy in this class right now, when you look at the composite scores, Landon Tengwall, he's been uh, there's been very little uncertain about him. He's the first guy you offered on the offensive line in this entire class. That was midway through his freshman year of high school. Um, but at quarterback, which is where we'll start some of this positional conversation. Christian Veyu, I have a lot of concerns about, and I'm not meaning that about his ability, but there's not often we talk about a quarterback who sat out of his senior season, and that's to no fault of him. It was canceled, like a lot of these players. Lennon Tengwall didn't play a senior season, but quarterback to me is a spot. Uh, you know, Brian Stumpf, we had on the show uh, to talk about Christian Veyu. He's the president of the uh, Elite 11 camp circuit, got a long look at Christian. He was part of the evaluation process. We talked about this. He was the first Canadian quarterback to be a part of those Elite 11 finals. But, you know, spending these last several months in Ontario, I know he's been, you know, getting together routinely, trying to work out with, with, with friends and, and workout partners up there and, and, and trying to facilitate it as best he can to come in, make an impact as one of those early enrollees in January. Um, I asked Franklin about this, didn't really get necessarily the answer I was I was hoping to look to look for, but... I'm very curious how Penn State is is going to build in to its plan the fact that they're getting guys who may be short on fundamentals, may be short on some of the progress, and and quite simply just short on varsity high school snaps. I mean, the ability to go play a senior year at a school like uh, the Bullis School down there in Potomac versus not getting that year. Um, if you're looking for a contribution from a true freshman quarterback, I, I, th- I think that really sets back that possibility. I agree with that. I think that in more, probably him more than anybody else that have had their seasons taken away from him. This is a guy that really, you know, you're taking a quarter of his high school career away from you. He's Canadian. I, I, I don't want to, you know, throw him into that 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 boat where you know the Canadian guys usually need a little more time to get uh, uh, caught up. He played at Canisius for a year, played at Bullis as well. Um, so he's played American football a- at the American level. But at the same time, you want all the reps that you can get if you're if you're looking for a guy to come in and start right away. I don't see that as value just because of this lack of experience and you're seeing the field different as a senior. You're seeing different things. And then that's kind of the last live look you get and a live chance you get of being a quarterback before you're a scout team guy or you're a guy that's starting over in the bottom of the depth chart. So that stuff is invaluable. And I think that that's really going to not stun his growth, but I think it, it, he's not going to be where he would have been certainly coming out of his senior year if had, had he gotten to play. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Sean, and, and this will be a conversation we can have next year, but no true freshman has ever broken into the two deep under James Franklin, right? I mean, you had you had Trace McSorley as a, as a, red, as a redshirt freshman 
uh, backing up uh, Christian Hackenberg his last year here. Um, That's correct. And, and so, you know, this was this is going to be an uphill battle. We already know that we've talked about the transfer portal maybe being a spot where Penn State would look at quarterback, but uh, it's a tall task for any freshman, I think, coming in under these circumstances, even as an early enrollee. But we like the raw product. We like the raw material. Brian Stumpf was great breaking him down at six foot three, around 200 pounds. Underrated athlete, I think it's fair to say about this kid. Some of those measurements that you have mentioned in the past. Um, and then, you know, elsewhere in that backfield, we'll wait to see what happens at running back. Deshaun Morell would be a really nice pickup. Um, I think you've spoken very highly of him and getting to know him and kind of an abbreviated recruitment here. Kid who was committed to UCLA for some time. But at wide receiver, to me, Sean, when we're looking at these offensive skill positions, this is a spot that from March uh, and May and that whole area where you, were, you saw a lot change in a hurry to now, it's where you've had the most growth in this recruiting cycle for Penn State because Lonnie White came on board uh, he, he skyrocketed in the 24-7 sports evaluation. I think our listeners have heard from Brian Doan on why that was the case. You've had Liam Clifford make a leap in those rankings at well, went, uh, as well, went out, put together a tremendous senior season. He was on our podcast as well, breaking that down. And now Harrison Wallace, I, I'd encourage you, if you think this is kind of an afterthought addition because the team's desperate and just trying to fill up spots, Go watch the film on this kid. He's got that basketball athleticism. We talked about how that can translate for him. Barton Simmons, very high on that kid as well. You've got three of the major risers at this receiver position coming into a group that already is pretty impressive in terms of the, the young foundation, even with Jahan Dotson potentially with you or with or not with you in 2021. Um, just a, really a, a lot to be impressed by when you factor in they have the first-year positional coach there, and it's it's not a spot that you can point to in recent years and say there's the proof that you can succeed at receiver with Penn State. So Penn State last year, December 8th of 2019, had a junior day, and they got a bunch of these 2021 guys up. And, and among that group, Dante Thornton, Jaleel Farouk, and Caden Prather, we spent months with those guys on the, at the forefront of the radar. Well, a couple of weeks after that, Jared Parker takes off, becomes the West Virginia offensive coordinator, and all of a sudden, you're left scrambling. Thornton's not in the class anymore. Uh, Farouk, Farouk and Prather are both very tied. Prather's going to sign with with Parker at West Virginia. So you just had to go in a different direction. Taylor Stubblefield came in, obviously slow uh, out of the gate. Not really, not sure if you could come off worse with that with that belt, belt incident. Yeah. Uh, but no, he really rounded out and did some did some good things. Lonnie White now is is rated higher than anybody in that group that we just mentioned. And I think he's a couple spots ahead of Dante Thornton in, in the 24-7 sports rankings. So, you know, it took a little bit of time. They got where they needed to go. You, you, you're looking at three different body types. You're looking at three different guys that give you options. I think Liam Clifford can play inside and out. I think Harrison Wallace, I haven't seen enough of him. I've never seen him in person. So that kind of throws me off from that. But you know, he's a, he's a type of athlete that could, could be an inside out guy. I think Lonnie White, you, you haven't seen too many athletes that have come through, um, at wide receiver like Lonnie White just to, at that size. I mean, you're really looking for, um, you know, you look for him to be a big kind of stiff guy and he's not. You look at his basketball stuff, it kind of reflects that. So I'm really, I'm very high on this group. Uh, and obviously the elephant in the room here, Lonnie White. Top baseball prospect. Will he go in the draft next summer, which is actually in July? Um, Lonnie White's Lonnie White's scheduled to enroll at Penn State in June, but that's kind of irrelevant because if you get drafted in July and he all of a sudden says, "Okay, I don't really want to play football anymore," really not much you can do about it. So that's kind of where you're at with that wide receiver group. But three tremendously productive guys, three different skill sets, and 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 I like what Taylor Stubblefield has to work with. He's obviously you know done some good things on the field so far. 
Got some momentum in the 2022 class with Caden Saunders and Anthony Ivey. They still want to get Curtis Johnson, the, the, the really, really good athlete. He's committed to Navy as a quarterback, but probably a slot guy, probably a guy that, you know, you can just put anywhere. So his senior stuff is, is phenomenal. I encourage you to check it out. They still want him as an, an athlete that can play on the offensive side of the ball. So you've got options out there. And, you know, if they would line, land Johnson, it would be a frontline group. But right now, I uh, really, really like what what they've done at receiver, especially to bounce back the way that they did. And I know you know this. It's Calvin Johnson. Uh, you say Curtis, but I, I just for our listeners out there, we've gone over this before, not related to Megatron, but it's Calvin Johnson. And you look up his 24-7 sports profile right now as I'm staring at it. Not going to blow you away with those rankings numbers. We'll see if our rankings council comes out with an update by the time uh, this cycle is completed. Uh, but yeah, uh, you're, you spoke very highly of him, uh, and, and you're encouraging me to learn a little bit more about this young man who committed to Navy, and, and that's intriguing enough for me. Been in the committed there since June. And Sean, Lonnie White, we saw today, MLB.com, came out with a, a list of prospects uh, coming out for, for this next upcoming draft and uh, pretty highly rated. Uh, so we'll, we'll see, we'll see how that, how that translates and what kind of guaranteed cash could be available for Lonnie White. But I'm with you. He is the guy that, that could really be a, a player who develops into one who can dominate in, in one-on-one matchups downfield. And, uh, just a lot to like about a kid who hasn't really sunk his teeth into the position. And that's why there's excitement there. Tight end, um, Khalil Dinkins. Is he there four years from now? Is he there a year from now? We don't know. Ask Brian Doan. He should be at linebacker yesterday, but he's a four star in the 24 seven sports rankings. And, and, and that's a, from a fairly recent update. He's got some NFL pedigree. Um, and if he's going to take, uh, take on that tight end room, it's one that is veering young right now. We project Pat Fryermuth to move forward with his pro- professional football career into 2021, barring a major surprise. But Brenton Strange has shown out well. You like what you see from Theo Johnson. I think it's very fair to wonder what lies ahead for Zach Koontz based on the sample size so far, year three on campus. And um, we know they've got a couple really interesting prospects coming up in 2022, but um, you know, maybe there is some wiggle room in, in that tight end room for, for Khalil Dinkins to come and make a case to stay there long term. I think so. And number two, I appreciate you not dragging me for messing up Calvin Johnson because that's the easiest one I could have done. Curtis, uh, Curtis Johnson and I played basketball together back in the day. So, <laughs> um, but it, it's uh, going back to Dinkins. He's a, he's just a, you put on the tape. He's kind of a next level athlete type guy. You're kind of curious as to where he best projects. I agree with Doan and some other people that linebacker, he could be a pro linebacker eventually. He's going to get a shot at tight end. He reminds me a lot of Brenton Strange there. You know, really good running without the ball. He's got natural ball skills. Obviously, you know, his father, Darnell, played in the NFL. And, you know, that kind of bleeds through sometimes. So I I like what they got in Dinkins. And and at the spot where they were at, they were not going to take a tight end. They've got two in in the 22 class. Uh, but they were not going to take a tight end. They missed on some other guys. And Dinkins was, you know, just kind of right there the whole time. Never really got into the recruiting process, but they're, they're happy to have him. And, and, and I think his senior tape, you know, if that's what he puts up in his junior year and, you know, some of the other, some of the other schools get get wind of that, I think his offer list looks much more impressive. This is a kid that, that, that really has shown that he's the real deal. Again, I'm not sure where he ends up. Is he maybe even, maybe even a defensive end in the long term? His dad, you know, is, grew when he was in college as well, um, and after college. But yeah, this, this is a kid that I think you take and you just figure out a spot for later. Offensive line that you could see a significant shuffle moving forward because of of who you might lose on the offensive front. We already talked about. Uh, a nice little uh, slew of accolades for Phil Troutwine to point to on the recruiting trail now. 
Um, whether you agree w- with that or not, or whether you believe that that actually happened this year or not, uh, the, the four different guys get that kind of recognition from the Big Ten. And and now you wonder what's next, because outside of Caden Wallace, Sean, the last couple of classes, we don't really know what they've got there. Uh, you know, the 2020 class, even with the junior college and, and Wigan, uh, Anthony Wigan, still not sure what what he's going to bring to the table for you moving forward. Uh, Sal Wormley, another, another player who came in with that group, a four-star, I believe he was. Uh, and then this last class, five guys, five current freshmen, you know, we haven't seen any of them and we haven't had practice access. So we really don't know what to make of them. This is a smaller group now. Landon Tengwall has, has been a priority target for a long time. He is very enthused to put pen to paper and, and to enroll early, as we reported a couple of weeks ago. But about five, six months before Landon Tengwall came on board, Nate Bruce out of Harrisburg High School committed. He was the first commitment Came off of that for about three hours, maybe in February, and then jumped right back into the class. But he's a guy that that we've been hearing about for a while um, out of Harrisburg High School. Uh, I know their offensive line coach who worked with them pretty well. He was talking about Nate f- coming up out of sophomore year. Eventually, we saw him at the uh, the 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 challenge, the big man challenge at Penn State. He gets an offer, commits pretty quickly, and you know it was a small senior season for him because of the circumstances. And Harrisburg basically got their season shut on them uh, because of uh, some COVID concerns, but with what you see on film, I think you saw a step forward, and I think you saw that reflected by our rankings council as well. This was a guy that, you know, I probably heard from more than anybody, and, you know, my, my people in, at Penn State really thought that this was guy this was a guy that probably should have been ranked higher, and then, you know, sometimes they, they kind of slightly nudge you in that direction and try try to uh, influence some uh, some of their, uh, their momentum that way, um, but this is a guy that was pretty consistent that he was one of their top interior lineman tar- targets. I know that he's an in-state kid. He didn't have too many offers, uh, but he, he really, really developed over the last year. And I, you could see that in his senior film. Um, I'm, I'm excited to see where he, you know, he's going to be a guard. I don't think there's any, any question about that, but he, he went out and flat out mauled people as a senior. I know it was a, an abbreviated look at him, but uh, really earned that bump. And that's something that, that we saw, you know, what was that October or something when he got that bump. So uh, I, I really like Nate Bruce. I think he's, uh, you know, a guy that can come in and compete after you took those five guys last year, you know, they're really high on, on Olu Fashanu. They took three tackles last year. You know, you, you add an interior guy like that, you add Tangwall to the mix who can probably play four or five positions for you in the offensive line. It's a good group. Uh, it's the numbers are not great. You know, there's no beating around the bush there. They, you know, you started out in the outset of this, this cycle with Nolan Rucci out there and Tristan Lee and, and Wyatt Millam, who's, who's going to sign with West Virginia, um, and Tangwall. And those were the four guys. And then you actually expanded that to, to add some other guys and, and, and really just didn't come together. The Spindler visited, uh, Garrett Dellinger visited from, from Michigan. You know, he just had a bunch of guys that were, Putting Penn State near the top of their list, but you can only push a couple guys across that finish line. That certainly hurt them uh, in that aspect. Um, still wanted to get Diego. I mean, they got they had Diego Pounds uh, committed to him for a while, um, silent, albeit silently. You know, he turns around and flips to to, to North Carolina. Um, that's that what was a day, that what a was. day, what a couple of weeks. I know uh, your boy Landon's still not too happy about that one uh, personally. Still looking, still looking <laughs> exactly. uh, down in Texas at Austin, UK. It's been interesting that they really haven't moved on anybody else, and that's uh, you know just from asking around that just not thrilled with what's out there. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they took a look in the transfer portal, even if it's for a younger guy, even if it's for you know a guy that they could come in and develop as a as a redshirt freshman or a sophomore or something like that. Um, so 
I, I think that they have have the opportunity to build out those numbers somehow, especially with the 2022 group as they kind of get these guys back on campus and have the ability to to host these guys once again. Um, I think Phil Troutwine's heading in the right direction from that angle. Um, but yeah, I think they're going to have to supplement these numbers somehow. Um, but as for the guys, I mean, it's the story of the whole class, isn't it? The guys that they have, pretty good. The guys that they miss are going to be the ones that, that that we talk about for a long time. And I guess the task at hand for for the guys who are coming to campus here in January and then eventually in June is to dispel that notion and say, no, you got the right guys. Uh, you know, trust trust in us, and we'll we'll see what happens there. Sorry, I was a little bit distracted. My wife brought up a freshly made latka, and this time I didn't have to go in and and close out the deal and 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 put out any fire. So success downstairs, success up here as we continue to to go through the podcast, Sean. You mentioned uh, maybe adding a piece in the offensive line. Seems like they need to add a piece or two on the defensive front. It's been a long first cycle for John Scott Jr. with some help from Deion Barnes. I feel like you don't interview a defensive lineman in any class these days without hearing about Deion Barnes, former Penn State defensive uh Defensive lineman, edge rusher, who has now become a graduate assistant in that defensive uh, defensive staff. Um, those two leading the charge or you know, whatever they're doing in tandem uh, has not really produced much. You, you flipped an Indiana commit um, earlier this cycle, um, and and you just kind of wonder what else is going to happen. We've, we've said it before. There's, what, 27 defensive tackles on scholarship, but just can't imagine this getting past February with Rodney McGraw, the aforementioned a defensive lineman out of Indiana, being the only guy on board. That's a concerning showing for year one for John Scott because you you know you talk about Trout Wine, you talk about Taylor Stubblefield, the way that he's been able to do it. Um, and for them to have one defensive lineman committed on the eve of signing day, uh, you know, this was probably going to be a class where you were looking for four, you were looking for three defensive ends and maybe one defensive tackle. As, as we said, you really don't need a defensive tackle in this class from a number standpoint, but you know, you want to add a guy like Rooks to, to maybe get in there and build up and see how he can go. But that's, that's kind of where you stand the night before signing day is you, your most realistic target is that it is a position you really don't need. And, and you're looking at defensive ends and you're offering guys in December and you're not going to get these guys on campus, et cetera, et cetera. That's concerning. That's uh, that to me, you know, says that that's, that's a plan that's gone already. Uh, it's, it's not really, it's it's obviously far from an ideal situation for John Scott. You're going to see if he can maybe have uh, some magnetic personality that we don't know about. But really, Scott has been a guy that's been behind the scenes. Deion Barnes has been the guy that's out there. Deion Barnes, of course, connected to guys like Elijah Judy, who's probably going to sign with, with Texas A&M tomorrow. Um, so you're really looking at a spot where you've got a ton of questions and, and very few Answers are even more concerning, very few potential answers. And John Scott came to campus and kind of had this list of guys who he had the connections with down in South Carolina, and there were a bunch of them on our radar pretty quickly. Um, now, he was also that last addition to the staff, and we've talked about that a lot. I think he had two or three weeks between when he was hired to when campus was shut down in February, was already uh, shut down for, for, for visits just built into that schedule. So there's a lot of excuses you can make in there, but it's also, you know, what are you getting done at the end of the day here? And it's big time college football and um, there's still work to be done there. And, and I don't want to bypass again, kind of going with the theme, what don't they have versus what they already have. What do you make of Rodney McGraw? He's a guy who was committed to Indiana, the in-state team. That's a program that certainly you can make a case for being on the rise and, and what they did this season. He has stuck with that commitment. Uh, we got a chance to, to, to see a little bit closer into early on his senior year um, at Elkhart Central High School, thanks to, to Steve Waltfong going there and, and, and seeing him from the sideline. 
um, blew up physically. A guy that was kind of described to me earlier this year as kind of a basketball player learning how to play defensive end, that kind of a body. Um, he has filled out quite a bit. Last they see, pushing 260 at that stage. Uh, what's your make of Rodney McGraw and maybe where his fit is? Because he's one of those guys. Is he yet another transition him into the inside, or is he, you know, is he setting the edge? Because to me, there is very much a clear roster need for guys who can set that edge based on what you have coming into 2021, what you might lose going into 2021, and barring something coming in from the transfer portal, unless there's first, second year guys who are really ready to step up. We've talked about that being an area where depth is a concern. Yeah, I, I think I think a lot of McGraw. Um, I don't know that he's going to be, you know, a, a, a top draft pick or anything like that. But I think he'd be a really solid player. Probably reminds me a bit of C.J. Alanion, who used to play here. Um, you know, just kind of a very solid guy on the edge. It is nice to have. Uh, maybe in a in a physical way, kind of reminds me of Smith Vilbert. Just a big, big kid. Still room to fu- to fill out. Maybe Vilbert was a little bit thicker than than him. Uh, but it's uh, it's a guy that's probably not going to come off the edge and be a speed rusher, get you, you know, 10 sacks in a year or something like that. But you need those type of guys. The the thing about that is you just try to to, to complement them with other guys that, that can get to the quarterback. So, I mean, he had a ton of success getting to the quarterback. I think he had like 15 tackles the night Steve Wilfong went to see him play. So, yeah, I, you know, I, th- I think I think he's a very solid pickup. But, I, I mean, it's obviously the way that Penn State's defensive ends have produced, uh, you know, in the last couple of years getting to the quarterback and things like that kind of expected more to me it was it was interesting and I'll go back to Scott here for a, for a second as you look at how this cycle went and you thought that okay you know John Scott comes in he's got his guys um you know he I, I have no doubt up that John Scott can evaluate talent. I mean, you remember Tyrion Ingram Dawkins was his, you know, sort of his guy. Um, never got up to, never got a chance to get up and visit or anything like that. But he went from, you know, a three star to one of the top, I think, 75 or 80 prospects in the country per 24 seven sports. So, I mean, guys like that, guys, the guys that he had connections with were guys that steadily rose throughout the rankings, albeit guys that committed elsewhere. Um, but yeah, you, you, you really found yourself in a hole because he came in and, and, and you think about some guys that were on the radar at that point. Jason Anye ended up committing to Notre Dame. Aaron Armitage, um, gonna go to Stanford. And he, there was just a bunch of guys. And in fact, Keyshawn Bennett, uh, up in Connecticut is a guy that, that Steve Lorenz, who, you know, he committed to Michigan, is gonna sign with Michigan. Steve Lorenz asked me about, and, and Penn State really kind of cooled on these guys when, when John Scott got, got there. I don't know if that was just a personal preference or something like that, but, but you had guys in your region and honestly, not a great year in the region for defensive ends. And I think that's something we've talked about a bunch, but you've had guys that, you know, you had an in with, or you had the, the potential to get them to campus and they've seen campus, especially a guy like Bennett. And you just went in another direction. And that, I think that kind of blew up in their face. Yeah, George Wilson was another name who had some previous connections with John Scott and, and uh, you know, Kelvin Gilliam's a name that, that I know we didn't talk about. He's another one of those that you felt good vibes from at, at certain points of this, of this cycle. And he ends up elsewhere going, going to be in Oklahoma sooner unless some things change for him. Um, you know, just, just, uh, some, some misses there on the defensive front. And here you're left with one guy, um, at this stage of the cycle linebacker. It's all about Detroit in, in this, in this cycle for Penn state uh, they've had a nice run at the position. I'm going to need to see some of that youth develop here in the upcoming years, but Kobe King, Jamari Budd, and we'll talk about Kobe's brother, who was another big riser in, in 24-7 sports rankings of late. Uh, but Jamari Budden's a guy that, that uh, Sean, watching his film, 
I just, I, I, this kid loves to, I mean, he loves to just go and dish it and, and there is no hesitancy about him. And I think he has been able to match that with, with a bit of a physical growth and, and, and kind of his, his physical frame where some guys play with, with a bit of that reckless abandon, but you wonder if they have the frame to back up that style of play and survive a power five football season and what it takes to play nine big 10 conference games and keep going forward into the postseason. Um, I had some questions about that when he first committed, I, you know, I, I think he continues to, to kind of uh, build up from a physical standpoint, but I think the, the, uh, the mentality on the field as Zach, as you get him in with Dwight Galt, I really just like that the way this kid comes together as, as a prospect at that position. You know, this was a group that kind of grew on me. I uh, wasn't big on Budden in terms of long-term proje- uh, projections because in his junior film, all he did was kind of attack as a, you know, for lack of a better term, an edge rusher. And then, you know, his senior films come out and he's playing a little bit more linebacker, um, you know, seemed a little bit uh, to catch up with his athletic ability. And that kind of sounds, sounds weird. This is a great looking kid. I mean, this is just uh looks test out, out uh, you know, just, so I, I, I like what they've brought in. Kobe King is another guy that really was to me, I had questions about taking him. They don't like to take many Mike backers. You, you look at him, didn't have really the build that you, um, you know, you've, coveted at that spot. They usually just recruit these outside linebackers and try to put them in the box. Um, sometimes you need inside linebackers. And I think, you know, given what he brought to the table, as well as being uh, a twin brother to one of their best commits, in my opinion, you know, I think it made it made it worth uh, bringing him in. I put on a senior film. I watched that King versus Cast Tech game. He was everywhere. And that's just, you think, okay, he's a great high school player, et cetera, but he seems to have grown. He, he's not as stocky as I thought he would be. He's, you know, he's a little more thinned out, played running back, played linebacker. And this is a kid that's going to come in with a higher floor than I think we thought that, that he would get to. And I think he's got some room to grow. I, that was a question. When you've got a guy that's what, six foot, six one, 225, you're wondering if he's, uh, there's a guy that played at Pitt back in the day that always kind of reminds me of this maxed out guy, Dan Mason. And he, never really got, you know, he was just built like a rock, but never really got bigger and never really got to the point where you thought he might be able to. I thought about that with Kobe King, but King looks like, looks to have a little bit more room. And then when you put on the tape, he, he finds the ball, he gets there and he gets there in a hurry. And you don't see that type of burst when you just look at him, you know, maybe running a long run or something like that, but he's got these short, quick bursts. And as we've seen, especially this year with, with Penn State's linebacker play, that's really something that they could use in that linebacker group. Highly productive at a program like Castec. And as you said, there's, there's, there's a very seamless nature to the, the reaction when, when he reads the play. Sometimes you can have all the athleticism in the world with a kid, but he's kind of roaming the field and eventually makes a tackle downfield. This kid is a quick decision maker, gets downfield in a hurry. We've talked about before, can he be a three-down guy for you long-term? Does he have that kind of versatility? Um, you know, it, it's interesting to watch how Penn State's using their linebackers and who is the three-down guy this year. So um, we'll, we'll find out. It's a small linebacker group, but it adds to a collection where you know, you've know you got the former five stars and Curtis Jacobs and, and Lance Dixon and, and Brandon Smith, of course. They're all going to be around next year. And Tyler Elden and Zariah Fisher, if he sticks that linebacker, they were four stars last year. So Brent Pry has a lot to work with, and you hope that that unit as a whole takes a step forward next year. Um, let's get right into the twin here. From Kobe King to Kalen King, and, and you were for a long time, Sean, saying this kid's higher than the rankings would reflect. 
I, I think you feel a lot more comfortable about what the rankings reflect now. He's into that top 24-7. He is a four-star, solidly in that range right now. And I'm with you. I think when you look at, at what this kid brings to the cornerback position, the pedigree of the program that he's coming from, the impact he made there in, in really all different phases, um, easily one of their top signees that, that we anticipate on, on Wednesday. Yeah, I was going to make a splash comment and say he's my favorite defensive commit, uh, you know, on this commitment list. And then I look and he's the top rated defensive commit on this commitment list. So uh, I'll, I'll pull back my hot take there for a second, but I love Kalen King. He's going to, uh, you know, sign for Penn State on Wednesday and then enroll in January. I think he's got an opportunity to play. And, you know, we talk so much about those young corners and all these guys that Penn State has, but I think King has, has the opportunity if he gets in there in the spring and, and really meshes in that they will play freshman cornerbacks. And I'm excited to see him, uh, again, going back to that Cast Tech, uh, King game in which they played against, uh, Jalen Reed. Kalen uh, King was all over the place. I mean, as, as much as Kobe King was on, uh, you know, near the line of scrimmage, Kalen King scored, uh, I think, a couple of touchdowns as a receiver, kick returner. It's just everywhere. Um, so I'm really excited to see, you know, him progress. The, the short area quickness is there. He's got a sub four second uh, shuttle time. And then when you, you know, you're kind of curious about his long speed, but I think it's good enough. I think he's probably in the four fives, uh, low four fives. So I, I, I really, really like what Kalen King can bring to the table. And on top of that, Cast Tech has produced some really, really good uh, cornerbacks. They're, they're technically sound. And when he gets here, I think he'll be ready to go. Jeffrey Davis may have flown under the radar more than anybody in this cycle because I feel like he committed like right when everybody else was committing. Um, and and he's got the three star status. He's he's out of uh, New England, but there's a nice little history of late with with a cornerback out of Connecticut with Marquise Wilson coming down and making an immediate impact. Uh, Marquise Wilson uh, was a guy who was kind of a, a, a I guess a, uh, a part of the relationship dynamic here between Penn State uh, and Jeffrey Davis be- because of his background there and um, between him and Zaki Wheatley I think you can make a case for either Wheatley projected to play safety uh, I feel like both those guys if you ask the the average Penn State fan they may know less about those two than anybody in this class at this point. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that was the answer. Uh, Jeffrey Davis, unfortunately, did not get to play as a senior. Um, you know, he's kind of a guy. He came to camp as a wide receiver, and you're like, okay, this guy's got some some juice to him. He can move. He's got some some decent size at about yeah, probably just under six feet. Uh, but yeah, he could, he could move around and, and do some really nice things. Ran a four or five for them. Um, has gotten that since I've seen videos from him in this offseason have gotten, I think just below the four or five. So uh, the athletics, the athleticism is there. I, I think given what we talked about with, with Christian value, I think, Davis is in that same boat, didn't get to play this year. So I think he's probably headed for a red shirt next year, but you're adding size, you're adding length and adding athleticism there. And that's really what you've been looking at at, at corner for a long time. Well, it says, I said, Zaki Wheatley, a safety, a guy who do, did draw some interest at wide receiver as well. You pair him up and I think it's a nice complimentary pair up. I said this back, back in the late spring when they both committed, but with Jalen Reed, another player out of the Detroit area, a guy who can really, really bring the stick as a safety. Um, you know, I, I, you want to see a balanced safety play, and that's that's the spot on the field where I feel like Penn State, um, year after year, you're waiting for kind of a, a leap there. Um, and and you know, what do you make of this tandem? Because to me. Again, I think they play off well. Each other. they're different players. Uh, I think they can they complement each other well. You got Enzo Jennings in there last year out of Michigan as well, a four star player, highly thought of. But that that room gets a shot in the arm with this group. And um, you know, I, I again, I, I just with Jalen Reed to me, 
Um, I think there were some early comparisons to Marcus Allen, and I don't disagree with them because I think he will draw some oohs and ahs when he hits. The question to me is, can he handle his business in coverage? Because if you want to be an every down safety at this level of football and play play it that well, you got to be able to do both at a high level. Yeah, it's kind of the reverse concerns here. You're talking about Reed as a guy that's going to fill in the run game, and you're talking about Wheatley that's more of a center fielder type guy. Can they do the other thing? That's the big question there. Wheatley's got excellent length, excellent size, uh, can run well. Great ball skills, a really good re- wide receiver as well. Jalen Reed, when you when you looked at that, I mean, I watched that whole game, that Cast Tech King game. Um, he kind of you know, he just showed up athletically. I mean, there wasn't a ton that they asked him to do on either side of the ball, but he kept popping up and, you know, it wasn't hard to find him on the tape, which is certainly a good sign. Uh, I'm curious how this group's going to go. Safety recruiting over the last couple of years has been very, very much up and down. Uh, Derek Davis is obviously a guy that we looked at for a long, long time as a potential guy that could come in and make an early impact. I don't know that either of these guys are, are that guy that can come in and play right away. I, I, you know, like I said, with the offensive line, I could see them supplementing some some portal time uh, for safety. I, I just, I, I don't know how. The, I, I'm very curious. These are probably that's probably the position when I look at this commitment list and I see these uh, these different types of athletes, these different types of body types. Probably the most curious. And by the way, both four stars on the composite. I'm probably most curious about how these guys play out in the long run because I think there's potential there. There's a lot that they need to work on to to get where they need to go, especially a year after you bring in a guy like Enzo Jennings. You don't see him play at all, and I think Enzo Jennings probably um, you know a step above these guys in terms of prospects. And the other guy you bring in in that spot, uh, Jair Brown. Everybody saves the year of eligibility this year, but he's got two left uh, coming to the junior college route. And, and Donovan McNeil, McMillan was also a name we talked about pretty extensively, uh, one of those risers over the offseason, another safety here out of Pennsylvania, uh, heading elsewhere out of the state. Um, Sean, not to not to skip over this one, we got to get the special teams. And uh, I see he was supplanted in the composite. 24-7 Sports still has him as the number one kicker. Sander Sahadak at a Liberty High School in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Uh, we did not see uh, a scholarship go to a, a player in the special teams unit. Uh, coming in from the 2020 recruiting class, of course, before that, you had Jordan Stout transferring in uh, after a year at Virginia Tech. Um, Jake Pinnegar has righted the ship as this year has gone on. He'll, he will be a fourth-year junior next year, um, but this makes sense. You don't want to have too large of a gap in between your scholarship kickers and a kid. Quite frankly, I- I'm not going to pretend to know much about about what his journey is going to be at Penn State, but when you offer a guy without having him at a specialist camp, I'm sure Joe Lorig did some very diligent homework, and we have seen this kid boot the hell out of the ball in some of these social media videos. I I don't know how, how legit they are, but they sure look legit, and he's been drilling them for, what, 60, 70 yards at times and sharing it with everybody. Yeah, uh, the kid hits bombs. I mean, <laughs> there's really no no way around it. We're not going to act like we're kicking experts or anything like that. But you put on that tape, and that ball flies off his foot. It's been it's been really cool to watch stuff like that. And going back to what you said, they didn't offer a scholarship to a guy last year. They brought in Stout, etc. You know, it seems seems pretty consistent. Pinnaker's been able to right the ship this year and done a, done a very good job over the last uh, several weeks kicking. Um, but you can't let a leg like that get away from you. And I think that you know. 
you allot so many of these scholarships, whether it be punter, kicker, maybe even a long snapper eventually. Um, you know, you've got these scholarships that are so valuable, but at the same time, you can't let this kid get away. So I, I think it's, uh, it's probably a good move to, uh, to, to use it. I mean, he's going to be very different seeing a left footed kicker out there. And, but, uh, you know, when Stout moves on, when Pinnegram moves on, you've got a chance to, to replace it. And, and Levi Forrest, who's a freshman this year, they really like him as well. So, um, you're, you're getting a chance to sort of replace those numbers on top of that and since we're talking about special teams we'll talk about the you know the special teams walk-on class that they're actually really really high, high on uh Gabe Nuoso is a uh, teammate of Christian Veyus down at Bolus um Tyler Dzanski long snapper one of the top long snappers in the country uh Mitch Grow who could kick or punt from Dallas Town down in New York and then uh, they're getting a transfer in from Colgate named Barney Amor so um it's been a group that they're internally excited about you're not going to see too many um you know things written about this group, but uh, you know they're adding leg talent, they're adding special teams talent, and that's cer- certainly something they've emphasized over the last couple of years. I look forward to your uh, breakdown. I'm sure your breakdown is coming in the next few months. It's going to be a long winter, so I expect uh, I expect to read that from you about this special teams unit coming together. And these are the kind of names that no one cares about until they do something wrong when they get their opportunity, and everybody's up in arms about not having a better player at that position, like long snapper. Guys that don't get a lot of credit, but coming to campus, trying to earn their scholarship. We've seen it happen here in the past with Penn State. So good on you for, for mentioning each of those guys. And uh, uh, we look forward to, to the walk-on stories as well. There's always a few good ones that surface uh, each and every cycle. And eventually they pop up year three or four. And who knows, they could be ending up in a Dancha Senna situation down the road. You never know where that guy finds his NFL path from. Sean, um, we've mentioned a lot of names, some possibilities. But what continues to loom, and, and I just want to address what James Franklin said today, the the personnel the way you approach personnel development and and and, and developing your roster just across the board each year now in college football has tra- changed so dramatically and it, with the transfer rule on on its way to a big change and going to be able to to basically make that one move without having to sit out go from school to school and, and get to make that move Franklin said it's like the NFL. You got to have essentially have a department where you are monitoring all the incoming young talent. Uh, in the NFL's case, draft prospects. In this case, signing day prospects. But you also have to keep a very close eye and basically have people locked in on all the talent uh, across the board among your peers. In the NFL, the 31 other teams in their practice squads. In this case, FBS football and and maybe FCS football, of course, as well. Um, now he says uh, that NFL design, that NFL outlook is, is starting to really take over in college football, high level college football. Not sure where Penn state is fully in that progress. We'll get Andy Frank on for, for a, a bit of a call on Wednesday from the for talk signing day. It's something I'm curious to hear about, but I mean, this is a very real thing, Sean, as much as we'd like to, to enjoy and celebrate this transition from high school to college there is such a conversation now of college to college and it, it, it's it's really it's undeniable the impact that it will have for Penn State and for everyone Penn State has on their schedule. And you can see the appeal. I mean, you're bringing in a guy that's been in a college weight program for a couple of years, even if he wasn't able to break through for one reason or, not, or another at his previous program, you're getting a chance to start with that. You've also got, you know, some sort of not really boots on the ground, but you've got guys that you can bounce, uh, you know, uh, I guess questions about their talent and things like that off of so that that helps and 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 I think 
that Penn State will be more active. I don't know that they're going to go out and replenish their roster with a bunch of transfers or anything like that, but I think the Penn State was going to be more active this year in checking those out. I know Dan Kabbalah, um, who's, I think, director of high school relations, has sort of uh, come off as the transfer guy here recently. Um, so he's going to be busy looking at tape. And and I, I truly see them looking at uh, at a lot of their options here, and that, and that includes quarterback, that includes offensive line. I think defensive end is going to be a spot that they have to um, really ch- take a look there. Safety, I mentioned that a little bit earlier. So there's spots all around that that certainly could use some replenishment, could use some competition, could use some guys that can, you know, maybe not go be starters, but you can find guys that can play a bunch of reps for you and and, and really help you out as they try to, to prolong their careers or get some more exposure or whatever. I think it's probably going to be more, you know, feeding up more than anything. Penn State's bringing in a kid like Winston Eubanks, and he's going to be a, a walk-on receiver, but he played at Shippensburg. I believe it was a Division II All-American, Division II, at least all PSAC. Uh, people pick. love this kid. I mean, people were reaching it, coming out of the woodwork talking about this kid and, and, and how impressive he is. We'll see if it translates, but a lot of excitement locally, at least, about what this kid could bring to the Penn State wide receiver room, which is which is a pretty darn good room. Yeah, absolutely. And and you've seen uh, programs all across the country benefit from these grad transfers and and not everybody's going to hit and at the same time you're you're not going to hear about everybody they're going after. I think I said that with uh with Brian Doan last week is Franklin's not going to come out and say, "Hey, we're we're looking in the transfer portal for a quarterback." They're going to have to make those moves sort of uh, you know, <laughs> on their own and and see what comes of it because obviously you're worried about, you know, the the guys that are already there, not just quarterback, but you know, all over your roster and things like that because they're kind of your guys. Um, but yeah, it's going to be it's going to add an interesting dynamic to this cycle. I think it's going to be something that's very fresh and very very new for these guys. We think back to uh, after the 2018 season, all those guys that went to the portal for Penn State then, and all the guys that went nationwide. And you thought, okay, the portal is going to change things. It's all this kind of stuff. It really didn't change all that much. But at the same time, guys sort of flocked to it. Now, all of a sudden, you've got this one-year transfer you know, where, where you don't have to sit out a year. And that's shiny and new. That's something all these guys want to talk about. That's something all these guys want to do. And you know, the grass is probably not going to be as green. I think Chris Hummer had some stats up this week. I think 53% of three-star prospects and above that went to the transfer portal last year didn't end up with FBS programs. That's a, that's a pretty sizable number right there. So there's probably more risk and it's probably one of those things where you don't have enough feedback and you don't have enough uh, uh, I think you could think you can break the system and that's just not going to happen so that's on the player aspect of it from a from a coach's aspect of it you got to find out guys that can can make that happen and let's be honest with you those guys a lot of those guys are in the portal for a reason you know I mean you're swapping back backups you're taking guys that you know weren't going to cut it at their old school how's that going to help a team like Penn State that's trying to break through um, you know at the top level of the big 10 and into the college football playoff that's another thing to take into account can. The portal is not, you know, it's it's more of a band-aid than a than a be all end all. You can get really, really, really lucky with a guy like Joe Burrow, but you can also be like Chase Bryce this year from Clemson that that that, that transferred to Duke and he's in the portal again. I mean, it's just it's very, very, very hit and miss. And I think when you hit, um, that's great. But when you miss, it's it's going to show up. Uh, probably even more. So that's going to be an interesting dynamic added to the the whole cycle. Um, you know, you can fill out your offensive line class with a guy that's a little bit more physically mature. You can take a guy that you know had a great year at Western Michigan or North Dakota State or something like that. North Dakota State had a linebacker that went to LSU and had a really good year. You can find guys that want to come up. Those are the guys that I think Penn State uh, you know has to zero in on. 
And uh, as we were recording today, Trent Gordon, uh, who was a third-year defensive back, transitioning from cornerback to safety for Penn State this year, um, he he ends up with Arkansas Razorbacks in the SEC. So a lot of movement, and it's ongoing. And if you follow the transfer portal coverage at 24-7 Sports and Chris Hummer leading the charge there, we do it like no one else. And it's a lot of movement already, and we're still seeing Big Ten teams in action. So as these teams start to shut it down and the postseason ends, going to be a lot of movement, a lot of possibilities for Penn State. Two things to note. There are potential drivers to get in the transfer portal and and uh, that have to do with COVID-19 that are, are not customary drivers of why guys leave campuses and why guys leave programs. The other thing, if you're looking for another options, the lack of official visits still looms large there, Sean. The lack of the ability to go to a campus, get inside their facilities, meet face-to-face, that is still going to impact the ability to kind of cultivate these movements, not just on the recruiting trail, but among these transfers, and, and that's extending into April. So that's something to monitor as well. I think you're going to be looking to lean on a lot of previous relationships from past recruitments and staff connections and all that stuff because it's really hard to develop new ones virtually to get a guy to, to make that kind of transition midway through his college career. Um, Sean, just, we got a just, lot coming. Just, uh, yeah. you, just one of 15 commits has not been on campus, and that's been you know in, right. in a year where we've seen a bunch of guys commit to other schools that that haven't visited. That's been one thing, and and that and that's the reason they've done so well in, in retaining the guys that they've had committed. Um, but yeah, just one, just Harrison Wallace is the only one that hasn't been on campus so far. Now, if they land Deshaun Morrell, that will be one. Still looking at some other guys and maybe pop up with a surprise this week. But it's just uh, it's it's been crazy to think how much of that has impacted Penn State this cycle, and it's not uh, not for the better. Let's say that. No, not for the better, and. Um, we hope for a, a more normalized recruiting cycle for for everybody's sake, mainly for those high school prospects going into the 2022 uh, signing period, but uh, a, a long way to go uh, for that conversation. We'll keep it on uh, the 2021 class in the spotlight here in the next few days. We'll be back with you on Friday with another episode of this podcast. We'll, we'll focus in on the Illinois matchup that's now scheduled for Saturday, but we're really going to continue to, to monitor what's going on. Of course, on lines 24-7, uh, everything on the recruiting trail. As the signatures come in, we'll have content up for you up on the site. Uh, I'll have write-ups kind of spotlighting some of these guys. We'll have a bunch of highlight videos. And, and that Friday uh, morning announcement from Morrell, uh, Deshaun Morrell, the running back, is also going to be one to monitor. And we'll have full coverage uh, of wherever he ends up and what that means for this Penn State class. So uh, stay with us here on Lions 24-7, the podcast and the site. We'll have you covered throughout this early signing period and, of course, well beyond. Uh, for Sean Fitz, I'm Tyler Down you. Thanks for joining us for this conversation. We'll check in with you later this week.